0: All right. You ready, guys? Want to just dive in? No jokes. Diving in. Second <laughs> Samuel 5. Last week, Gabe shared, and he was talking about the life of David. We've been going through the life of David. We started with the first king of Israel, Saul. We're hitting David. We'll move to Solomon, and then probably jump to the New Testament. But because it takes our church so long to get through scriptures, that'll be in like 2032 <laughs> when, we go, when we move to the New Testament. Um, Gabe last week talked about 2 Samuel 5. What happens there is David gets anointed king over the entire nation. So we've been in this crazy tension where David was anointed king. He's serving under Saul. Saul's angry. He's insecure. He tries to kill him. David finally gets the kingdom, and he gets the entire kingdom at this point. And then this this is what happens, chapter 6. But before we go there real quick, 2 Samuel 5.8, I want to mention a scripture that's really significant. And it says in 5.8, it says, And David said on the day, Anyone smiting the Jebusite, let him go up by the watercourse. And the lame and the blind, the hated of David's soul, because the blind and the lame say, He doth not come into the house. That is a bizarre portion, portion of Scripture. It's, it's, it's an obscure portion of Scripture. David's about to capture the city of Jerusalem, Zion. This is a prime spot. It's so well guarded the walls are so huge and strong, the lame people are mocking, the blind people are mocking David and his army, the most deadly army that exists at the time. The city is so impregnable, the lime and the blind, the, the lime and the blind, the, the, the blind and the lame are mocking David and saying, like, you can't even get up here, dude. You know? And so David says this, he says, we're going, to get, we're going to kill all of them, so I want my baddest dudes to go up by the water course. Now, that word, water course, is a debated-about word in the world of theology, historical theology specifically. What is the water course? Well, a lot of people think it might be just a, a rain gutter, essentially, the water course. There is one scholar that is pretty significant um, from a Bible called the Junius and Tremelius Version. It was a, it was a study Bible from the 1500s. They just started study Bibles. Like, did they have study Bibles in the 1500s? Yes, they did. They just started coming out. Well, this guy, the primary scholar, was a, he was a Jewish man that got converted to Christianity, so he brought a lot of specific knowledge and insight about Jewish culture to... The scripture, the Old Testament, and he says this water course. If you imagine at the top of the city of Jerusalem, there's no waterfall, right? There's not a waterfall there pouring water down. But water needs to get out of the city by both rainwater and wastewater. Need to get out of the city. It's not like it's not like um, you know when you're when you're you have a cabin in the woods. And you just kind of walk five feet to the latrine that's away from the cabin. Like, this is, a, this is a major city that has humongous, impregnable walls. You don't just go outside the city to use the restroom, they have water courses. And so, David says to his soldiers, I want you to take this massive city. You have to climb through the water course and then kill everyone <laughs> the Jebusites, the bad guys that are holding the city. It's a phenomenal picture. It's one of my favorite pictures in the Old Testament because God has things for his children to rule and reign in and most of us don't like to get dirty. We don't like to be humbled. We don't want to go through the water course. uh, One of the descriptions uh, says it's like there's only about four inches of breathing room when your head is climbing through the watercourse. There's enough room for your body, and then on top about, about four inches, which is about this far, to even breathe. You know, the proverb says this. It says, it's harder to win a brother offended than a strong city, an impregnable fortress. But if you are humble, if you lower yourself, if you go the way of the watercourse, you can even destroy walls around a strong city you can even win back a brother offended if you are willing to humble yourself it's one picture the other picture I just think there's treasure that God has for the children of God and most of us want to be like proper and pristine and not get in fights and not get messy treasure goes to the people that are willing to get messy Treasure goes to the people that are willing to go through the watercourse. And this is an incredible picture. And it's a picture of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race set out for us. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, the city... The impregnable city, Zion, the crown jewel, right? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father of God. We have Christianity in America that only wants to look good and be proper. Sorry, it's just not the way we win. That's just not the way we win. We win by getting dirty, by scorning the shame, by enduring the cross. And David's primary warrior, Abner, who two chapters earlier was killing people and was literally going to kind of get booted from the army, if you read the context, he's restored to David because he's willing to go through the water course, humble himself, climb through, and win the city. And it's a really cool picture for us as believers. Amen? Okay, that's a freebie. Let's jump into verse 1 here. Then David again gathered all of the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 men, and he led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. These kind of scriptures just make me really excited because they're bizarre, and we pass by them, and we don't think about them. But when we think about them, they really communicate some incredible things. Just to start out with, David goes to get this incredible treasure, the Ark of God, his, the box that contains his presence, and he brings these 30,000 elite troops. David wins wars by elite troops, and we need more elite troops in the kingdom of God. We need less Christians of caring and burdened by the affairs of men and how many social media likes you have and how nice your apartment is and how shiny your car is. And we need elite troops in the kingdom of heaven, people that are willing to climb through the water course and humble themselves and have uncomfortable conversations about Jesus. We have a Saturday night evangelism uh, service and Bethany was there with the gang last Saturday night. And last night, and she was able to pray for a number of people, and she was sent me this picture. um, Someone who sent the picture, Pam? Did you send the picture? Yes, thank you so much. Pam sent a picture of Bethany crying, praying for a lady. The lady's crying, and I'm like, most Christians are so afraid, they're so terrified to walk up to someone and say, "Do you know Jesus?" They're absolutely terrified because they think it's embarrassing. They think religion is embarrassing because we live in this culture in the United States It says separate religion from everything else, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to talk about Jesus, he's a private matter, it's a private business, private subject, don't talk about it, it's embarrassing. Jesus is not a private matter. He publicly came to the earth and died on a cross for all of us and rose again publicly for us. It's not, it's not science fiction, it's not like what's your favorite science fiction movie, it's a public event that happened. It belongs in the public sphere. And so elite, church, elite troops win wars. <laughs> elite troops take beachheads. Elite troops break through the line. Elite troops are the troops that matter in the battle. We need the other troops, God bless them, love them. We want a church that's full of elite church, troops that takes Christianity very seriously. Why? Because so our life on, on earth is like this short, and then our life in eternity is something like this. And this part of the life matters. We live a life right now and it's, it's this kind of... We, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. We don't understand that we're in a spiritual war, that there are spiritual enemies, that uh, the scripture says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers that raise themselves up against the kingdom of God, that God himself is the God of the angel armies. You know, that's what Lord of hosts means. Do you know that, that that phrase is used 232 times in the, in the Bible? That phrase, Lord of hosts. Host of what? The word in Hebrew, Sebat, That means hosts of military peoples, large groupings of armies. The Old Testament understanding of God, so that phrase is used 230 times in the Old Testament and two times in the New Testament. That understanding was God was a God in charge of the armies of heaven. We forget that he's even has anything to do with armies, but elite warriors win wars. Uh, Just as a a moment on that, we have this phrase in our church that we're trying to grow big Christians, not big churches. We're not anti-big churches. It's just our focus is, God, we want Christians to grow in their faith with you. And we're planting a church in Charleston, South Carolina. I think so far we've raised about $50,000 for the church plant in South Carolina. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely amazing. Um, and by raise, I mean people have sown that amount into that church, other churches and specific individuals. So thank you for sowing church. If you and know anybody in Charleston, please let us know. We want to connect them to our Charleston campus. Okay, verse 2. He led them to Bela of Judah to bring back Sorry, I'm, I'm, um, here it is. To bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Okay, what is the Ark of the Covenant? We all remember in Indiana Jones, it's the box that melts the face of the guy, right? And we we're all scarred as children watching that, like hiding behind the couch, peeking, ah! hiding back. The Ark of the Covenant is such a bizarre phrase we talk about in the church. It's a box. Really, it's what it is. The Ark of the Covenant is a box. Really, a chest is the best way to understand it. It's a chest that carries in it really important God stuff. And it's the place where God comes on the top of, and in the Old Testament, he meets with the people of Israel. The high priest, specifically, once a year. Let's read it here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Sanctuary is just like a a building. In that time, it was a tent. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room, there was a lampstand and, and, and a table with its consecrated bread. This room was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain in this big tent was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold covered Ark of the Covenant, golden covered box. This Ark contained three things. One, a gold jar of manna, two, Aaron's staff that had budded, and three, the stone tablets of the Covenant, the Ark Above the ark were the cherubim of glory, that's on the, the cover of the ark, that were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the place in between these two angels that were on both ends of this box. The box was about 45 uh, inches long, by about 27 inches? Yes, by about 27 inches high. And if you think of like a three-by-five card, kind of the view of human beings, that's about the square of the box, like that. One angel on the left side, one angel on the right side with their wings moving forward over the mercy seat where God would show up and communicate with the high priest. So this is a wild thing because David, he defeats the bad guys, he gets anointed as king, and he's like, this is the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to bring The presence of God the Ark of the Covenant I'm going to bring it into the high city the, the governing city of this nation I'm bringing the presence of God this box I want it to be established in my rule in my reign in my life I want it to have centrality it's the most important thing he does right there's active wars he quells those kind of active wars he's anointed King first act of David Bring the presence of God centrally into my life and the life of all of Israel. This is not just some kind of accident. This is a symbolic act that David is saying. We're bringing the presence of God back. We're bringing the voice of God back. We're being a nation that again cares mostly about pleasing God and him being central in our lives. It's an incredible picture. And so he does this by getting the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in the Ark of the Covenant, there are these three things. There is manna. There's a jar containing manna. It's a gold jar containing manna. There's a a staff that has, has budded, which is really bizarre. And there is a set of stone tablets, the law that Moses brought down to the people. And what does this look like? This looks like in the Ark of the Covenant, where God comes and rests on top of there are these three essential elements in the life of every church and every believer that God comes and sets and rests up on top of the first one is the manna that's the first thing that's the miraculous presence of God in the old testament the, the, the um, Israelites were escaping from Egypt and getting their way to the promised land. And they didn't have what it took. They didn't have the, the right food, the right shoes, the right provisions, the right, a lot of things. And God's miraculous presence, God's miraculous answer came in the form of this white bread that came down from heaven. It actually showed up on the ground. And this manna was something that they ate fresh every day. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. John 6 56. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. The New Testament tells us that the body of Jesus is our manna. It is the miraculous presence of God. His miracle working power. The, the miracles and life of God are essential in the life of the believer. And oftentimes we can see, uh, if you're looking at a believer just kind of on an analytic per perspective, how are they doing in their life with God, they, they, can, they, they often miss one of these three elements and it's detrimental to living a life in the presence of God. And often, one of those things is the miraculous power of God, the spirit life of God, the miracles of God that includes the body and the blood of Jesus, the presence of God in your life, the actual living presence of God, not this fake religious idea, but actually the presence of Jesus alive in your life. One of the ways we have that experience is by coming into church and receiving communion and saying, God, I forgive you my sins. Bring your presence into my life. I receive your body. I become joined with you. Bring the pulsing living life of the kingdom of heaven into my life. Not just this form, not just like, get on your knees and I put this thing on your tongue and I don't, whoever, however people do it, that's not the point. The point is, is the living presence of God alive in your life? The second thing was the staff that represents the leadership of God. And it's a really weird staff. It's a staff that has leaves that grew out of it and almonds that grew on the branches. And in the story, in Numbers chapter 16, there was an uprising against Moses and the voice of God. It was called Korah's Rebellion. And Korah and some of his buddies came together and they said to Moses this phrase. They said, look, I know you think you can hear from God, but just in a little FYI, we can all hear from God, pal. There's a phrase they use. We can all hear from God, not just you. And... Um, it, was because of, it was actually because of Moses adhering to God's law. It offended the people, and they were like, you know what, you're not the only one that hears from God. We do too. And their spirit of offense began to sow division. And if you know the story, Moses says, okay, like, we'll see who God likes more, you or us. You guys stand way over there. We'll stand over here. Then the earth opens up and swallows Korah and his gang. And the picture is incredible. Those who sow division reap division in their whole life. Those who sow division, the earth actually divides underneath them and consumes them. It is one of the clearest symbols in the the Bible that these guys that were sowing division in the nation of Israel, the earth divides underneath them and eats them. And then... (laughs) The other leaders are like, okay, so we're nervous now. <laughs> the earth is eating people, now we're nervous. What's going on here, God? And so Moses is like, I, I want to prove to you that this is not just my voice, that I'm not just being some kind of like over-intense uh, tyrant of a leader. So get your staffs, each leader of each tribe, get your staff and write your name on it. They carve their names on the staff. And they put their staffs, overnight, before the presence of God, and the next day they come back and the staff of Aaron, who Moses had called into Levitical leadership, Aaron is the head of the tribe of Levi, his staff grows leaves and almonds. It's like such a crazy picture. Like, who could imagine such a thing? That a dead stick, a dead staff... That you've been leaning on for years that you know that you beat away the wolves with that you know you you use to massage your back every once in a while if you get a crink in your back like that old dead thing there's life inside of it, and God ordains it as such there's these three elements that we're talking about one is the, the, the active presence of Jesus in your life, the manna the second is godly, ordained leadership in your life. This, it's, it's something that you lean on. It's something that when you're on a slippery path that you get something to lean on to. It's that if there are wolves coming, they help you beat it away out of your life. It's, the staff represents godly leadership in the life of the believer. And if you're living life on your own, Outside of a church, community, it's very hard to have godly leadership in your life. And, and then general rule is if you're living life on your own and you think you have all the answers, you're generally just a rebel. You're generally just kind of Korah's Rebellion, Version 2, New Testament Covenant. Right? And guess what? God put this person on your, in your life not to rule over you. You notice, it's, you notice Moses didn't say, hey, everybody get your hat and throw your hat in, in, the, in the ring. It was a staff. A staff is something that you lean on during hard times. That's what godly leaders are there for. They're there to help direct you and support you and hold you up. They're also at times there to correct. That's something a shepherd staff was for, to correct, to whack wolves, to beat them. That's something we do at our church. Not all the time, but I do like to beat wolves when I get the chance to do so. The crazy thing about the whole picture of the staff is that it doesn't make sense, it's a dead stick, but it grows life. It brings forth life in the life of the believer when they lean on God's authority. Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be of no advantage. For you. So, you know, actually, leadership is not something generally in the church in 2020 that we're missing. We have a lot of churches that are like, they're just leadership gurus. They just like to talk about leadership all the time. And even we have some churches, and Gabe and I were talking about this this morning, that like the miraculous presence of God and leadership. Well, there's one more thing in the box that's very important it's the law, it's the tablets of stone. These three things. When rightly integrated into the life of the believer, establish the presence of God in your life. We have a church that's generally, in America, been afraid to talk about the law. Because we get confused in the New Testament. It's like, aren't we done with the law? Yes, we're done with the ceremonial law. And we're done with the civil law. Definitely. No more killing any cows for fun, please. Right? No more killing chickens and bringing them to our church. They do that downstairs in the Buddhist church. We don't do this here at our church. I don't think they do that. They might. They probably do. We're done with the ceremonial law. We're done with the civil law. We are not done with the moral law. We are not done with the moral law. And in fact, whether or not you obey the moral law is a barometer, significant barometer, to whether you are saved or not. People don't like to say that, But I didn't say it, Jesus said it. You want to see? Let's take a look. (laughs) Matthew chapter 7. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, those who did not have the law inside of their box. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It says, depart from me, I never knew you. And we're like, I want to know you. I want to feel you. I want to touch you. And, and that's not the right context for the scripture. It's depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Those of you who have forgotten the law. God's kingdom comes with his living presence, his miracles. They should be a part of your life. I'm not saying you need to have a miracle every day. I'm not saying that. I'm saying God's miraculous presence should be in your life, the manna. God's leadership should be in your life. Like, it's not some kind of domineering force, but you should be able to lean on godly counsel when you're in trouble. Hebrews 13, submit yourself to to these leaders that God put in your life. It will be better for you, that's what it says. And then finally, the law of God. Lawlessness brings death. So you can have A pluses in miracles, then you can have A pluses in leadership, but if you don't have the law, you will die. In this story, Uzzah dies because he forgets the law, not because he forgets the miracles, and not because he forgets the leadership he forgets the law and dies. Second Peter 3. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position. Is there security in Christ? Yes, 100%. Absolutely. There's massive security. Your blood-bought, predestined Son of God walking in Christ. Be on your guard because you can be carried away by the error error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position. Are you secure in Jesus? Absolutely! Yes! He died for your sins. Be on guard against lawlessness. Amen, church? So this is what happens. You have this box, and David says, I want this box to come back to the city. The box contains these elements, the law, leadership, and uh, the life of God, the miracle life of God. I will say, uh, on the other side, any, any Christian life that's missing one of these elements is really going to have some problems. Like if you just are a leadership law person, you're going to have a really dry and hard life. God's miraculous power wants to be in your life. The presence... The living presence of the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of your life, and you need to live that kind of way. Um, and if you don't know about that, please listen to Revelation my, our Revelation series. I did a, a message on the, church, the letter to Ephesus. and the letter to Ephesus, Jesus warns them that they had forgotten their first love, which is representative and part of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 3. Um, God's name is on this box. To bring it up from there, the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And so we just said earlier, what is that name? That's Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? That means God, who is the God of large armies of angels. Humongous, powerful God. This is the God I want on my side. This is God that I want to live with me. This is God I want in my city, in my home, right, in my nation. This is the kind of God I want, that his living presence is there, that I can lean on him for leadership, that his law is in my heart. I want this God with me, the God of the angels' armies that fights for me, that fights on my behalf. Amen? Amen. And so 2 Samuel 6, 3, it says this, And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart. Everyone say new cart. New cart. Let's do it one more time because that was pathetic. New cart. (laughs) And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, I keep wanting to say Ohio. Let's just go with that. Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. A couple of things to notice here. They have a new cart. Two. It comes out of the house of Abinadab. The, 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 the Ark had been there for 20 years. Three, Uzzah and Ohio are the sons of Abinadab. They're very familiar with the Ark. They've been living with it for the last 20 years. They're not treating it the right way. This is, a fun, this is one of the most fun portions of all of scripture. When, <laughs> when the, God kills one of the priests. <laughs> Which he seems to be doing these days. Uzzah and Ohio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God. And Ohio walked in front of the Ark, and David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. Look at all these instruments they have. This is what I, I always show... The boring churches, these lists uh, all throughout the songs, like leers, harps, tambourines, castanets. It's basically you're like moving your walking drum set, is what a castanet is. Right? It's way better than a beatboxer. Let's bring back the castanets and do away with the beatboxing. And all the beatboxers cried. Okay. Castanets and cymbals. So they have percussion sections, they have Mass, worship, and check this out, you guys. All of the people were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. It's just such a wild setting that God is about to kill someone, and everyone else is like, we're getting a Grammy. We're about to get a Grammy. Like, closed on Sunday. We're we're bumping it right now. Like, it's so good. I feel it so deep we're all celebrating 30,000 elite warriors, we're having a party it's like really exciting everybody's on the team Maverick City is bumping hard right? and all the music is there and all the celebrating is there and they're singing songs to God and God is about to kill one of them because they're rejecting his law. They're rejecting his way. They're being innovative. They're just trying out a new way of Christianity. We're going to do Christianity totally different in 2023. I'm so excited. What is that move even? I don't know. We're going to grow our churches so big. We're going to have the most amazing carts. It's a new cart, right? It's a new cart. They're moving it on a new cart. It's not an old, beat-up cart. It's probably the best cart they can find. It's probably painted. It's probably the best wood they can find. It's probably got shocks. You know? (laughs) It's a new cart. They're really excited about it. Do you know this cart was moved the same way The Philistines move the Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Samuel, when the Ark gets moved initially, the Philistines, it's the first time you see the Ark moved on a cart ever. The Philistines move the Ark on a cart. And the church trying to replicate the world brings death. The church trying to bring in the, the metrics, the methods, the procedures of the world to copy the Philistines brings death. We reject the law of God because his law doesn't say to do it that way, so we've got to get rid of his law. We've got to stop talking about his law. We talk about leadership, leadership principles, leadership principles. Get Tony Robbins in here with his gigantic head <laughs> clapping too much you know, talking about leadership in the church. Just need another leadership lesson. No, we need the presence of God. We need to establish the presence of God in our life. We need the God of the angel armies in our life. That's how we win the wars. We don't need new carts. So these two dudes that are the sons of Abinadab, they're familiar with the presence of God. They just throw the cart on a They're priests. They know the law. They know Exodus 25 says you can only move the cart with poles that go through it and the priests carry the presence of God. You don't put it on your own thing because you think it's cool. All of the worship. All of the castanets. God must love what we're doing if our music is good. It's like, I'm sorry if you were one of the 80% of the Christians in New York City that was going to a cool church because the music was good. Sorry. Like, we all get tricked. We're all dummies some days. I've been a dummy. I've been like, that music's great. And then that person rejects the law of God. The way of God. And that brings death. I just was thinking, as I was was just meditating on this scripture, I was, you know, your voice could be awesome, your songs could be awesome, your music could be awesome, and God could be about to kill you. Like, you could be, you can have Caleb just slamming in your car, (laughs) slamming, but you're rejecting the law of God and the way of God. So what happens here is that the cart, they're coming up to this threshing floor, um, and that's a whole other set of imagery I think is important, but you can think about it and pray about it. But they're coming up to the threshing floor, and the cart wobbles, and Uzzah, who's one of the two priests, the sons of Abinadab, Ohio's in the front, Uzzah's in the back, the cart wobbles, Uzzah reaches out his hand because he doesn't want the Ark of God to fall over. It's not like he's being a bad guy, Right? It's not like he's like in that moment trying to do something wrong. He's trying to do something helpful. He's trying to help this thing not fall over. He reaches out and he touches the Ark of the Covenant and God strikes him dead and parties over. The church shuts down. Everybody leaves. Everyone goes home. That denomination dies. There are pastors and leaders in our current time trying to hold up the wobbling cart, and God is going to end their ministries. Because we've been doing it wrong, friends. We've been trying to run the game of serving God, of loving God, according to his word, his leadership, and his law, on just one of the principles while throwing his law away. And it's going to destroy... It's the judgment of God that comes against Uzzah because God's like, it doesn't matter how great you sing doesn't matter how nice the carts you you have. It matters what I say. And there's believers like it, and you're like, I know what it's like to walk with God, and he's got his finger on a relationship in your life. He's got his finger on substance that you're abusing. He's got his finger on something that you know you need to correct. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to turn up the worship music a little louder. Just hope that I can get by. And the cart is wobbling, cart is wobbling back and forth. You know, it's interesting that um, both in the story, both Uzzah is wrong, but David is certainly in sin here as well. And um, David, every king of Israel, this is what the Old Testament law says, they're supposed to have the book of the law with them and they're supposed to have read it and obeyed God's laws, obviously. so. David knows that the ark shouldn't be on the cart. Uzzah and Ohio and Abinadab, they're priests. They definitely know it's not supposed to be on the the cart. But it's going so well. And I just, you know, this is something the church doesn't understand. It doesn't matter if your church is growing. You may be headed to a pit. Like, it doesn't matter if there's momentum right now. If you're rejecting the law of God, you're heading to your own death. It's just like we have this thing. It's like, well, it's working, so God must be okay with it. He's slow to anger. He's slow to anger because he gives us time to repent. That's what Romans chapter 2 is all about. People think, you know, Romans chapter 2 is the kindness of God leads us to repentance. We just think God is like the My Little Pony of the sky, It's his kindness all the time. So if anyone's not kind ever, you must not be representing God. No wrong. Because the kindness of God, it's saying, I'm allowing them time to repent. That's my kindness. But if they don't, I'm the judge of the universe. I'm God of the angel armies. Not the large groups of masseuses in the sky. I'm not the god of, your, of the army of therapists. I'm the god of armies of angels. And so Uza gets, I like to say it this way, his soul spanked out of his body by God. And, um, and then the party's over. And so, some things happen. They... Rehash the plan, and they realize, oh, right, yes, okay, so God said, when you move the ark, it's to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. Right, yes, okay, right. So we're going to do that. And they look at Obed-Edom, because they leave it at Obed-Edom's house, and this guy is actually not an Israelite, which is a very cool picture. Because if God's presence is in your life, it doesn't matter if you grew up in church, it doesn't matter who you are. When God's presence comes in your life, his blessing comes in your life. Look at this. The Lord had blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the Ark of God. And so David is jealous because he doesn't have the blessing of God in his life because the Ark of the Covenant's not there. So it says this. So David went and brought the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. So again, like the first time, there's celebration. There's party music. It's awesome. There's dancing. I'm going to talk about the dancing next week. It's very exciting. But they remember the law inside the model. And it says this. And the, men of Israel, and the after the men, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. And this is the way, for all of you fans of the Mandalorian, this is the way that God has a method to bring his presence in your life. It involves his law, his leadership, And his miraculous presence. And for most Christians, this analogy is pretty beautiful. Life goes like this six steps or six days, and on the seventh, we sacrifice. And we go to the house of God where we're reminded of the law of God, where we encounter the presence of God, where we interact with healthy leadership of God. And the kingdom of heaven the seat of God is established in our lives we have Christians that are trying to innovate with the law of God they're trying to innovate with the leadership of God they're trying to innovate with the way with with the miraculous presence of God they're trying to innovate with even the idea of going to church on Sunday right? right this is God's model six days you walk, on the seventh day you sacrifice. And the kingdom of God and the presence of God is established in the Zion of your life. New Christians don't like this model often. Often they buck against the systemic, the systematized. And they say, I want to try something new. You know kids, little kids, they love the new. They love trying new things. A lot of artists, a lot of New Yorkers, a lot of Broadway people, a lot of us New York creatives like the new. And the new is fun, and the new is exciting. And the new can be expressed before God in celebration before Him. Castanets even. But we have to keep the law of God, the way of God, central in our lives for the establishment of the presence of God in Zion. Church, why don't you stand with me? Worship team, you can come up. And I want to... Um, I just want to give a couple of go to church, belong to a community of faith. Stats. Um, you may not know this. This, this 2022 stats. People uh, in the church are 50% less likely to divorce. Our regular church attenders, if they're female, they're 68% less likely To abuse substance, about thirty-five percent for men to abuse substance. Happiness quotient: uh, more happy, more fulfilled. Christians are about forty-three percent much happier or um, or much more fulfilled in life than non-churchgoers. It's only about twenty percent. Is that crazy? Like, hey, twenty percent bump in happiness, no brainer. Church attendance Um, right now in the United States. It's gone below 50% for the first time in the history of our nation. From 1941, where it was about 75%, bumped between about 70 and 75% between 37 and 45, it was somewhere in that range. And now in the United States, church attendance is um, 40% or so, or below that. Probably practically it's below that. And in the United States, we've never had such an insane state of the world where boys don't know if they're girls and girls don't know if they're boys. People don't even like the idea of children anymore. (laughs) We're anti-life as a culture. We're anti-God and you just wonder like, huh, maybe going to church 30% less. Maybe this really basic system that God established that we go six steps and then we stop at the seventh to sacrifice to be reminded of the law, to have the presence of God in our life, for his miraculous power to touch us, to be around leaders that love us. Maybe this was God's idea. Maybe this is really good. Maybe this actually makes us happier. Maybe this is really beneficial for the people of God. I want to do stuff, not just in a reactionary sense, not just because it's innovative, Not only because it makes me happier and less likely to be a crackhead. I want to do it because it's God's way. And He knows me more than I know myself. He knit me and formed me when I was in my mother's womb. He knew my every day moving forward. If you don't know a Jesus that's like that, if you don't know a God who loves you that much, and you're here today for the first time, you're like, David, I've never heard of that kind of God a god of armies of angels that would be for me that has a plan for my life and a purpose for me if you don't know that god today and you want me to pray for you i'd love to do so uh, this this is not like a prayer that is going to necessarily fix your entire universe i like to pray for people and say lord i ask your spirit to grab a hold of that person and suck them like a tractor beam into heaven into the plan and purposes of God, into an active, living life with the kingdom of heaven. Like, God is real. He's here right now. We're two or more gathered in His name. He's there in our midst, and He wants to be in your life. If you're saved or unsaved, and if you're saying, David, I want you to pray the tractor beam prayer, raise your hand with me right now, and I want to pray with you. Yep, anyone else? Who else? Raise your hand. Thank you. Yes, yes, thank you, yes. Okay, come on, close your eyes raise your hands with me if you want that. God, I ask right now in the name of Jesus to grab a hold of these hearts here, Lord. God, that you love and that you made, that you know, that you knit and formed in the womb of their mother, God. That you have a plan and a purpose, Lord God. They're not alone, God, but you're with them, Lord. I ask that you pull them towards your kingdom. I thank you for Jesus and his blood and his sacrifice that makes a way to the very throne of God that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that there's a sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you for your love, Jesus. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your law. We thank you for your leadership. Amen.